Well, good morning, church. Welcome. We are thrilled that you are here. If you have a Bible with you, uh, if you would grab it and open it up to Matthew's gospel, we're going to be in chapter 6. We are continuing uh, in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, where we are looking at the most famous sermon ever preached in the history of the world, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read the text that we are going to be walking through this morning. It's a short one, but it is, uh, it's a bit of a doozy. And so um, it's a good one, uh, but it can be difficult. Uh, here it goes. Jesus instructs this to us. Jesus is teaching this to us, his disciples, Matthew 6, 1 through 4. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secrets will reward you. So to catch us up real quickly, in Matthew, we, we, we weren't even in these passages, but Matthew begins his gospel, chapters 1 through 4, gives us the presentation that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is who he says he is, that his lineage, his genealogy, prove that he is uh, the Son of God, the true rightful heir as the Son of God. That's 1 through 4. He's the Messiah. And then chapters 5, 6, and 7 that we're studying in the Sermon on the Mount, give us uh, the presentation of Jesus' preaching. Jesus begins to preach. He begins to teach. He begins to teach us what it is the kingdom of God is all about. How do we live in light of the kingdom of God? If the kingdom of God is really near, as he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, how do we now as God's people live in line with the kingdom of God? So chapters 5, 6, and 7 show us that Jesus is the final arbiter of God's word. Jesus is God's word. His words are God's words. And so we get the preaching of the Messiah to teach us what it means to be kingdom people. Chapter 5 that we finished last week, we saw Jesus, how he, he, he basically walks through the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you've heard it said this. And he's confronting false teaching. He says, but I say this. And he gets to the heart of the matter. It's not just doing righteous things, but he's wanting our very hearts and minds to be bent to please the Lord. And so we see him say that I've actually fulfilled all the moral commands, Jesus says. Where you failed, I have not, Jesus will teach us. And then in chapter 6 that we're going to see today, it's, he shows us that he doesn't just fulfill the moral commandments, that this Messiah that God has sent, the true Messiah, doesn't just fulfill all the moral commandments for us, but he also fulfills all the religious disciplines that are commonplace that God calls us to. So when you think of religious disciplines, uh, the, the most common ones that we often think of as Christ followers, and you even think about even before Christ came, when you think about the Jews, you have... Um, <coughs> You have giving, tithing, you have praying, and you have fasting. And this, these are the three things that Jesus is going to address 
in chapter 6. He says, so I fulfilled all the moral commands, the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, I fulfilled them. I've done what you cannot do. And now I'm actually going to teach you on what does it mean, what does it truly mean to be kingdom followers, to be Christ followers of, in the kingdom of God with these religious disciplines of giving and fasting and praying. It'll be exciting next week we get to the Lord's Prayer, the very famous Lord's Prayer, where he teaches his people how do we pray. And this one he's going to teach us about giving. Um, and so in Israel, praying, fasting, and tithing, that, those would have been the three major disciplines. All Jews fasted at least once per year on the Day of Atonement. So that's why Jesus addresses it here in Matthew chapter 6. They all tithed, meaning they gave a tenth of their first fruits, not what was left over at the end of the year to God. They, at the, their first fruits would give that which was owed to God for the, the temple, for the sacrifices. The temple was this, was the central place of, of their life, of their community, of their religion. Like they were coming in and out of this place all the time. It wasn't just the sacred secular divide didn't exist. It was the central place. So they gave off the, the top their first fruits, 10%. Back to God. And all of these things, in their praying, in their tithing, and in their fasting, Jesus is going to confront this, but in all of these things, it was very advantageous for them to do it over the top, to let everyone know what was happening, to let everyone around them know that they were living in line with what God wanted for them. Great motivation. So we kind of read it now and we're like, these Pharisees and the Israelites, they just, they just clearly didn't get it, right? But God told them, hey, give your first fruits. He says, fast so that you'll be dependent on God and not the things of this world. Pray that you would be connected to God. Talk to him. And they did all of these things. Their motivation was great, but they started doing it in these ostentatious ways that everyone would notice them. See, we tend to compartmentalize like our spiritual life and our secular life, right? But then the Jews at the time, when Jesus is preaching the sermon, there was no secular, sec, sec, blah, blah, secular, sacred divide. Say that 10 times fast, right? It was, remember the temple, the synagogue was the center point of all social fabric, of all religious life. And they were in and out of it every day. And so they, they, uh, they believed that God was sovereign over all. And in Jesus' day, it was advantageous for them personally, um, professionally, even marital status one day to make sure that all the people around them knew that they were praying, fasting, and giving. So you made a display of it. So just ma they made sure, like, everyone, I, I don't want to be like, I don't want people to think I'm not doing this, so I want to make sure everyone knows I'm doing this. And so, for example, uh, you, would, you would give your money, uh, say you would exchange, and remember when Jesus turned, turned tables over in the temple? Everyone know that story? Quick show of hands, make sure everyone's still with me. Okay, good. Jesus, remember, he turns tables over because what was happening? The exchange of money was happening. So they were exchanging funds. This is what, this is what happened all the time in the temple. And they would buy uh, different sacrifices. They would buy different things. But, so then rather than take these animal sacrifices with them, take their alms with them, take all these, they would bring money and they would be able to do it right there at the temple in the form of convenience in the temple courts. 
And so what would end up happening is they would bring their, say, $100 bill, and they would get as many coins as they possibly could. So it was like this huge bag of coins. Rather than just depositing the 100, they would go and like, I want a ton of coins uh, because this is going to make a racket, and everyone's going to see that I've got this big bag of coins. And in the corners of the synagogue and in the temple, there would be these silver drums or these silver bowls where they would take alms, they would take offerings uh, for the poor and the needy. And, uh, and you're wondering, like, it talks about don't, don't give and sound off a trumpet. Most commentators don't believe that there was literally a trumpet player coming behind them and playing. I mean, I guess there could have been. But they, they most believe that it was the silver bowls that they would deposit their offerings, their giving, their alms to the poor. And they would do so with as many coins as they could exchange in the temple courts. So they would go, ring it would just sound off like a trumpet in the temple. And everyone would look and, woo, you know, like cheer, like cheer them on. And, and the more clinking and the more sounding, the more spiritual that they would feel, the more, uh, the more in line with what God was teaching them. And it would begin to, they begin to like that, right? And so they began to, to, to show off, this is, this is how pious I am. This is how righteous I am. Look at all that I'm giving. And so it was advantageous for you to do this. When they would fast, we'll get to this in a couple weeks, they would just look miserable. They'd walk around, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not good, I'm starving. I've been fasting for a week, and, but I'm so connected to the Lord. Like, they wanted everyone to know, like, oh, woe is me. I just, I'm going without, but the Lord's teaching me, right? We have different forms of this, right? Um, and praying, they would use these wordy, long prayers, but Jesus is going to even confront these things. So it was advantageous for you professionally. Oh, there's a good man. There's a good woman. They are strong givers. They're faithful to God. They pray, they fast, and they give away to the poor, that which God has called them to. Even today in the Middle East, the visible signs of religion are extremely popular and very common. And Jesus mentions uh, two things here, that praying, tithing, and fasting, that when we do it just to be seen by men, he says, this cannot be your motivation. He saw this happening all over the place. And Jesus is going to confront this. He says, this can't be your motivation. And he says, if that is your only motivation, the applause of men, when you fling your coins into that a silver container, and you get a roar of applause from those in the temple that you would give so much to those in need, when that applause is all you're desiring, Jesus says, that is your reward in full. Congratulations. You got it. That's it. And Jesus is confronting this idea. He says, the reason you're doing this is because God has asked you and you want him to be pleased with you. He says, not the approval of men. Jesus is essentially saying, God is not impressed with this. God is not impressed with the roar of applause that you get when showing off how, how pious you are, how long you fasted, how much money you've given, how many words you used, and how long you prayed. And so the essence of this passage is that Jesus fulfills not only the law of God, but he also fulfills and he gets to the heart even the religious disciplines that God asks us to participate in. He always goes beyond just 
the checkbox religion. And he says, what's going on in here is what really matters. Check, the, check this first. If this is corrupted, the external things won't really matter. Or you'll do them in an improper way. So Jesus doesn't want us to just be outwardly moral. Jesus wants us to be sincerely earnest in how we approach God. He says he wants uh, our hearts to want to please the Father, not just hear the applause of men. And so we are to live our lives, our public lives, and our private lives under the eye of God, not that of men. This is hard. This is tough to do. Boy, I struggle with this. I heard it said once that our private life is to be lived publicly before the eyes of God. I think that's a good, good statement. Our private life is to be lived publicly before the eyes of God. Now, this passage starts with some really strong words. Jesus is going to look at us, and he's going to say this to us. He's going to say, be careful. He comes right out of the gates. And he says, beware, be careful. He comes right out of the gates and gives us a warning. We're not really used to, we don't, we don't like warning passages. We, we don't usually put those up on Instagram or on our coffee mugs in the morning. We don't we usually put the warning passages of the Bible. But this is one of them. Jesus gives us a warning here. We tend to like the encouraging ones that you can make songs about and that are, you can put a, a cloud scene behind it. And it makes us feel fuzzy inside. Jesus starts off this one in his sermon. He says, beware. And you're like, oh, I'm not, I don't know if I like Jesus telling me to beware. I thought he just... Tells me about all the, the nice things, right? But he starts off really strong here in his sermon. And he says, be careful. Be careful. And what he's, what he's getting at, he says, be careful. You are closer, catch this, you are closer than you realize to becoming a fraud, a hypocrite, a phony, SAT prep work, a charlatan. That's a good one. Still remember that one the, all these years later. Charlatan. He says, careful, you're closer than you think from tipping over into this. He's talking to these religious people, those that want and long to please God. He says, be careful. You're, you're closer than you realize. So the main point is Jesus is warning us here in these just these four little verses. He's saying, be careful. We're closer to hypocrisy than we, than we care to believe. And the consequences are huge. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Warnings, be careful, right? He's giving us this warning. Now, and he says, be careful. It starts off, I've, I'm a father of four children. Um, my daughter Isabel is about to be 11 all the way down to a two-year-old. And I think that I have probably said the words, be careful, uh, approximately 475,000 times just in the last month alone, right? <laughs> this is a very common thing. If you were a parent in here, especially of small children, uh, my, my little one, Ruthie, she's at that age where she's, she's walking and she feels confident, but she would walk directly into the corner of the table and not even like kind of look up. And so you're constantly saying, be careful, look out, watch out. My boys, when they play baseball in the front yard, they're, all they're concerned with is having fun, right, and catching the ball and running around. And so they're playing catch. And so I'll have to go up to them and say, boys, 
Um, please be careful when you throw the ball and you inevitably overthrow Owen. Owen, don't just bolt off into the street and grab it. Please look both ways because I am aware of all the dangers around them. They are just concerned with having as much fun as possible in the time allotment that mom and dad have given them before dinner, right? They're like, what's maximized fun? And so what inevitably happens? They're throwing, they forget what dad has told them, and they miss, and one of them just bolts out into the street, and I see it, and then uh, the dad voice comes out. Owen, right? You, know, you kind of muster up, you kind of try to get deeper, and what are we doing? What are we trying to communicate here? We're trying to say, if you do that again, the consequences will be extreme, right? And they're, they're kind of looking at you like, you're crazy. You're like, I'm just having fun playing the ball. Because all they want to do is continue having fun. And you as a parent realize there is all sorts of things that could happen here that they are just not aware of. And that's why God has placed you in their lives. And so me giving my boys a warning is not to shame them. It is not to embarrass them. It is not to uh, snuff out their fun and be a Debbie Downer. It is the most loving thing that I can do to them to help them understand that which is around them that they don't realize how close they are to stepping into because they're tunnel visioned in here. A warning can be the most loving thing a father can give to his children. And Jesus is giving us this warning. We need, we're like children, we are his children. And sometimes he has to look down at us because we just don't get it. We don't see it. And he says, my children, my sons, my daughters, be careful here. This is pervasive, and you don't even realize how close you are to the edge. Right? And so he wants to wake us up. And so Jesus is saying you're closer than you think to doing the right things for the wrong reasons. This is a tough passage because this, like, it's kind of easy for us to take the warning passages of like, okay, don't kill anyone. You're like, okay, cool, I think I can handle that or uh, don't, whatever, like kind of the big alarming ones that are like startling and you're like, got it, okay, sure. This is very different. Jesus gives this very different and difficult one. He says, Warning, be careful of doing the right things, of practicing righteousness. What? You're telling me to be careful in my pursuit of righteousness? This seems odd, right? Beware of practicing your righteousness, a warning about doing good things. Righteousness is another way of saying to live in line with God's word. Righteousness is living in line with what God has instructed us to live in. So Jesus is saying, be careful, sons and daughters. You are susceptible to doing the right things, not because you love God, but because you love the praise of other people. You love the applause of all the people around you when you do them. And in every spiritual endeavor that we do, even when giving to the poor, he's going to use an example here. Even in giving to the poor, we are susceptible to doing it for the wrong reasons. Verse 1, for then, if you do that, 
if all you want is the applause of the people around you, then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Jesus said, God does not reward you for doing the right things for the wrong reasons. No matter how generous. Verse 2, it gives us an example. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. Don't let your giving to the poor be for personal gain and the praise of others. He's saying, have a pure heart. He says, don't, he says, be undivided. If the Lord has asked you to give and to care for the poor and to sacrifice that which he has given you to make sure that they aren't suffering, then do so because God the Father asks you, not because you get applauded over here. Another point here is Jesus is assuming that his people are generous people. He's assuming that we are givers. He's assuming that this is how we operate as believers in Christ, in the kingdom of God. He doesn't say if you give to the poor. He says when. He's expecting that when we read the scriptures, we read what we're supposed to be all about, that this would be a normative thing that happens. But our hearts can become corrupted even in that. And so it's an entirely different sermon if we believe, well, we're not going to give anything. So we won't preach that one today. That's coming maybe in a few weeks. I won't tell you one because no one will come. <laughs> he is pressing into our hearts, right? He wants to get at our hearts. And this has massive implications because if I'm not careful, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to even give for all the wrong reasons. Not because I love God, but because I love the praise of other people. Now, here's the problem. I doubt any of us really tend to think that we struggle with this. Hypocrisy, right? Or um, we, just, we just don't tend to think that we struggle, like, especially in this day and age where it's like, it's the age of authenticity. Like to be, to be inauthentic is like the worst possible thing anyone could say of you. So you, you wanna be authentic, you wanna be real, you wanna just be genuine, uh, to be, to, to con I've never, I've been in full-time ministry for over 15 years and never once have I had anyone walk up to me or come into my office and say, gosh, Sean, I'm just so struggling with uh, my hypocrisy. <laughs> this hasn't happened, right? The other things send off alarm bells in us, like, uh, like other sin things, fears we may have about the future. But hypocrisy is not one that we tend to raise our hand on and say, yep, Hypocrite, right here. I'm really struggling. I love the, the applause of men, and I don't really care what God thinks, but I'm just going to keep doing it. And so I don't know how to deal with that. Will you help me? Never, ever has happened to me, ever. And the reason I think Jesus is giving us this warning is because this is subtle. We all struggle with this, but none of us admit it, and none of us like to confront it. So Jesus is like, beware, people. You're closer than you think. You're closer than you realize. In an, in an age of authenticity to be called, we, we would rather you just be an outright, overt, sinful, terrible person than to be a hypocrite, right? We just, in our, gener in our day and age, it's like, that, like, that's the worst, right? And he says, Jesus, like, this is so easy for us to slip into. None of us wake up and strive for this but it creeps in slowly. We don't ever think, 
gosh, you know, if I work really hard, I can put on the front for maybe in a couple years, I'll get everyone fooled and I'll be a full-fledged hypocrite in two, maybe two to three years. I got a whole plan worked out. It's just gonna be, it's gonna be wonderful. Everyone's gonna be retweeting my stuff. I got it, I got it all worked out, but I don't really care about God. No one, no one thinks like that and no one does this. So how does it slip in? If none of us think that we are one, why does Jesus tell us, watch out, you might be one? How does it happen? We become this when we begin to pursue the praise of men over pursuing God himself. And this is something I struggle with. I don't know about you. Receiving praise for morally right actions, catch this, is intoxicating. Receiving praise for doing the right thing is intoxicating. And it's powerful. It's a powerful thing. That's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm not, I'm not standing up here saying, you better quit telling anyone anything good. You better just put them back. That's not what Jesus is saying. I'm just, and we're just, let's clarify and admit to our, each other, admit to ourselves. Receiving praise for doing the right thing is intoxicating and it's powerful. And it can get a grip on us if we're not careful. Here's why it gets tricky. Because we have to then begin to ask ourselves, am I obeying God because I love God or because I love the praise of others? Jesus says this is one of the biggest threats to your faith thriving is if you love the praise of other people above God. We often think the worst threats are sort of out here in the big bad evil world that we have to go live in. Jesus is like, be careful, they're right here. When our hearts go wayward. Now, what, remember, I'm not saying uh, that we're not to be encouraging and kind and loving to one another. The Bible is chocked full of things about how the people of God are to build one another up in love, to encourage one another, to admonish one another, to be there for one another. I'm not saying that we should quit doing that. There's actually not a verse in the Bible that says be critical of each other. So I'm not advocating that we would all be critics of one another's motivations. I'm keep encouraging, keep loving, keep admonishing. But when the temptation knocks at your heart to chase after the applause of men over, uh, over God's eye on you, that's where it starts to creep in and become dangerous, Jesus is telling, telling us. If all we want is, is approval, then that warning has a grip on us that we need to be aware of. And social media, the day and age we live in, amplifies this temptation a billion percent because all of us are desperate for approval. We just are. We love praise. We love approval. We love a thumbs up. We love hearts. We love likes. It feels great. See, we're smart enough not to sound our trumpets now. We don't do that. So we read that and we kind of move on. We're smart. We don't, I'm not going to sound a trumpet off when I give money to the church or give money to a nonprofit organization. But we maybe, I, I don't know, maybe take a selfie and then have praise hands and say, hashtag God is awesome. What, uh, whatever, however it happens. Now, maybe that's just you giving credit to God and you have a completely pure motivation and heart. Amen. That's awesome. But maybe there's a part of us that's like, I really hope people notice what I've done here because it's worthy of praise. And I hope they give me an attaboy. And if that's your primary motivation, Jesus says, be careful. 
because you'll just chase that the rest of your life. In the eye of God, you will no longer give concern or care for. Um, and you may be sitting here and you're like, oh, go get them. I hate those people. I don't like those Instagram people. I'm like, I deleted all my social media accounts. And, da, 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 da. and you're like, yeah. <laughs> Love this sermon. Right? That might be you, right? <laughs> I'm characterizing you as a grouchy old man because maybe that's like me. That's kind of like my bent, right? I just, oh, I can't believe that. And here's, here's the ugly thing about this whole dynamic. It's probably, maybe, I don't know, I'll tiptoe here. Um, when you see and you're scrolling, maybe you don't post stuff, but you just like to look all day what other people are posting. And they get like a billion hearts for something that they've done really well. And you're like, Ugh. and you get mad about it. You're like, oh, I really know that. They didn't really do that you're probably struggling with something that you're upset that they're getting applauded when you think you deserve it. I deserve that applause. I do this stuff in secret and no one notices me. When's anyone gonna tell me a great job? Well, I don't put, like, right? It's the slippery, sticky slope. Jesus is saying, be careful. It's two sides of the same coin. It says, if you begin to obey God for just the praise of people, Jesus does not just say, oh, that's not great. He does not just say, that's just kind of less than ideal. Good job, great try, uh, less than ideal, but keep going. He doesn't say that. Listen to what he says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. Yikes. Like zero. No reward from your father who is in heaven. He doesn't say less reward. He says no reward. And then he goes on to talk about the applause you get from other people. And he says, truly, you know, when Jesus says, truly, I say to you, he's really trying to drive home a point because everything Jesus says is true. But when he stops and says, truly, I say to you, it's like double true. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus says the rewards you get for the applause of men are real. They're real rewards. They feel great. You get put up on a pedestal and it's intoxicating. And it's, that's a real reward. Like it feels good. You get noticed. You get applauded. You may get a new position at work. You may get a new position in your friend group. You may be, get put up on a pedestal. That is a real reward. The praise of those around you. But that's the only one you'll get, Jesus says. The clapping of other people for insincere generosity. Um, and that's a terrifying reward. Because if we live our lives for the approval of other people, and a lot of us do, and a lot of us struggle with this, I struggle with this, um, you, you end up living in this increasingly pressurized life where you're just constantly worried and trying to please every party in your life. Um, and the applause of people is fickle. One week it's there and the next, week's, next week it's gone. If your boss comes in and tells you you've done a great job this week, but he doesn't tell you next week, some of us start to panic a little bit. He didn't say anything this week. Have I not been doing a good job? Oh my goodness, I need to go. Right, it's just this constant never-ending gerbil wheel that we can't get off of. <clears throat> but faith, genuine faith, requires patience. 
sincere faith that Jesus is calling us to uh, requires hope in God, not the applause of men. Sincere faith trusts in God as the great reward giver, even when I cannot see it and the reward is not immediate. It's trusting in him and his goodness. He's a good father. He has not let us down. He does not leave us as orphans. The good giver does not give a stone in place of bread. He won't do that. Trust him. Hebrews 11.6, our last verse for this morning before we're done, is the definition of faith. It says this in verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe two things, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is rooted in the fact that God exists, that his eye is real, his watch is real, he's really there. He really made you, formed you, created you, knows you, and that he rewards those that seek him. All the other rewards, those those are great. I'm not saying that we should run away from doing good. Those are just vapors. They're secondary to the main thing, his reward. And so giving in secret um, is a unique, Jesus is going to tell us, is a unique expression of faith because they cannot pay you back. Those who have nothing to give back to you, those who have nothing to offer you back, they can't offer you status. Their applause doesn't matter in our society. They're unheard. They're voiceless. They're marginalized. They're oppressed. And Jesus says, when your aim is just the aim and the gaze of God himself, you will still be generous even in the face of something that offers you nothing in return because that's how Jesus has loved us. He was rich in glory yet became impoverished for us. If I can't get anything, if there's no return for me, what's my benefit? Jesus says, God sees and he rewards. And that's enough. Now, what are the rewards? Some of us are asking. If you're like me, did he list them? Like, what's, what's in it for me here? He doesn't tell us, but the focus here is on who is giving them. God the Father, the great rewarder. Your Father in heaven, church, who knows you, has loved you, and shows you as his own, he will reward you when you have a sincere heart and you live a life that's no longer just striving for the applause of men, but live a life under the eye of God. And it's his approval you long for every day. And no church that you have it when you're covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus here is pleading with us. He's warning us. He says, don't fall into the trap of living your life for the applause of others. It's fleeting, it's fickle, and it's all there is. The reward of the, earth, of the heavenly father is so much greater. So fight for faith. Fight for that type of faith, Jesus says. You're obeying not because you're supposed to, but because your father sees. And when Jesus rose from the dead, His death, his resurrection has guaranteed that every act of sincere faith will never be in vain. That's good news. Let's lean in in that way. 
Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for even these warnings that are sometimes hard to hear. And God, I pray for each of us. I pray for my own heart. Lord, as I know that many, many of us in this room are prone to live a life that longs for and pursues and chases after the applause of men rather than the approval of God himself. And so God, I pray that you'd help us live undivided lives. That you'd give us hearts that are just um, for you and for you alone that are giving and are praying and are fasting and our relationship with you and all the things that we do would be motivated and the, the drive of them and the fuel for them would be knowing that you are enough. You are the great giver and we long and desire for your rewards rather than the rewards of the earth because they're fleeting and fickle and you are not. You are everlasting and forever. So Jesus, teach us, mature us, grow us. We need your help in Christ's name. Amen.